You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded by Mother Carrie Klukas on February 17th, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, if you'll please pray with me. Lord, you are gracious and generous God. Help us to have fresh eyes to see all that you give us and all that you provide. Help us to live with open hands to the things that you provide for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we continue on in our sermon series of what does it mean to be a member of Good Samaritan Anglican Church. And we're doing this so everyone has, um, can understand what it means to be a member of the church and to allow each person a chance to sign on to the membership covenant. So today we focus on the concept of being generous and of living without anxiety. In the Gospel of Matthew today, we instantly begin with the command of do not worry. The Greek word, merimano, means to be anxious, which means to be essentially the state of our mind or to be overly concerned about something. And this is no doubt revealed in kind of our busy activity of our lives and of our mind. But Jesus is focusing today primarily on our mental attitude. And for it's here he says that we see a conflict in faith in the attitude of our minds. The act of being overly concerned with our lives is what Jesus is teaching about. We're not supposed to be overly concerned about our physical lives. We're not supposed to overemphasize our need for more. And Jesus is talking about a kind of worry that like hyper focuses on what we lack instead of on what we have. So what does this look like? An over-obsession with making money, or getting bigger houses, or nicer cars, or having people comment on the nice things that we have, or constantly trying to get more and more and to be obsessed with maintaining our stuff, 
or at least of the appearance of our stuff. This has a really frenzied nature to it and a real inward quality. I want others to think highly of my earnings or my capability and of these physical things, they justify who I am. An appreciation for the things that you have is sometimes lost or at least overlooked and discontentment is its replacement. Living your life in a constant need for more or better or bigger or newer. How often do we work really hard to acquire something, we finally get it, and we quickly lose interest? How often do we think of new things to replace something that is perfectly useful? The world is constantly focused on acquiring the latest thing. You don't want to get left behind and you don't want to look outdated. And if you watch commercials or billboards as you drive or you walk into a store, um, you're barraged with this message that you're not enough. However, if you have this item or this item or that item, you'll be acceptable. The world longs and it craves for the newest, next, or best thing, which if you notice, is a constantly moving target. As soon as you get that latest thing, within a few months or even within a year, the acquisition has to begin all over again. And it's hard, it's really hard not to be influenced by this loud voice that cries out in our culture. To forbid anxiety does not rule out a responsible concern or a provision for your own or for other people's material needs. Nor does Jesus here forbid us to work. Jesus points, he points to the birds as his example, right? So he points to the birds and how they do not store up or they don't, do not sow, and yet they have what they need. The passage might suggest that the disciple has no need to grow or to harvest food. But the point is that God sees that even the birds are fed and a disciple is more valuable to him than a bird. What is prohibited is worry, not work. Even the birds have to spend a lot of energy in hunting and searching for their food. But the point is that there, there is something to be found. And it's provided by their Heavenly Father. Jesus is not saying we're not to work. So, slide that out. The birds do not just sit in the trees with their mouths open wide and waiting for something to land in them, do they? They hunt, they peck, and they work really hard all day and day after day. If they want to eat, then they have to work, for since it was, there's no supermarkets or fast food for them. For weeks, God kept bringing this ibis to our backyard, and this ibis would come, and he'd hop around in our backyard looking for bugs. And the thing that made him significantly different, the reason why I noticed him, was that one of his legs dangled. He hopped around on one leg and the other leg seemed to be broken. And as I watched him, we'd be homeschooling and I'd look out the window and see him pecking around. He would be faithfully working hard for his food. And I was struck with how he didn't seem to anxiously worry. He wasn't worried about something coming and getting his food, but rather he just steadily and continually worked. Despite the difficulty, I looked at it thinking that thing's going to be eaten in like a day, right? Because he only has one leg. 
But despite that difficulty and that impending potential threat of other predators, that Ibis continued his difficult work calmly, just doing his thing. Perhaps this is what God means for us to work hard and to trust him with the outcome. Providing an income for yourself and your family is good and it is important. However, the attitude in which we do it matters. Do you work and toil for the sake of gain? Do you trust the one who has given you breath and strength to work? The Bible says that anxiety cannot achieve anything in our lives. It cannot add any time to our lives as well. I would have to actually add that it only seems to draw us further from God and from one another and from our true actual life. It's as if the anxiety actually steals away our minutes and our hours and our days and our months and our years of our lives. Anxiety spins us into a land of our own minds and it's like rambling around in the dark and not going anywhere. It reminds me of this story in the original Winnie the Pooh stories in which Pooh and Piglet are walking around in the snow and they're trying to find their way. As they tromp along, they begin to see other footprints and they begin to make up ideas about what might belong to those prints and how it might be something really scary. You know, Piglet, he's always very nervous and scary and he's always scared about everything. But Piglet decides it's a monster. It's this thing and the more they walk, the more scared they're getting. And as they go, they become more and more convinced it's something bad. And upon coming around the bend, they realize that they actually really didn't go anywhere except for a circle. It turned out that they kept crossing over the same tracks and becoming frightened by their own footprints. Their anxiety ended up taking them nowhere. So if we're supposed to live a life, live our lives not anxiously, then how do we combat anxiety in our own lives? For some people, just saying that we should not be anxious truly does conjure up anxiety inside of them, right? So what are some really practical ways that we can combat anxiety? Number one, offer your mental loop. It's a mental loop we're in, right? Offer your mental loop of anxiety up to God in prayer. Tell him all that you fear and all that you're worried about. And I would suggest even what the worst possible scenario of the situation could possibly be, offer it up to God. Number two, as you share your heart with God, try to imagine his loving, gentle, listening presence. Tell yourself the truth. God does love you. God does want the best for you and for your life. God will not abandon you despite what the circumstances might be. And your life matters. You matter in this world. Third thing, read your Bible. When I am truly anxious, if I read my Bible, 
I can see the story of God's chosen people making lots and lots of mistakes. And God is faithfully trying, trying over and over again with them. Their story becomes my own story, and it becomes yours as well. We are so unfaithful to turn this way and that way and to try and make it up all ourselves. However, God is really consistent, and he's patient, and he's good. The fourth is get moving. Move your body. Whether it's a long walk or a fast run or some jumping jacks, we do burpees if we're really angry. I don't do burpees in public anymore now that I'm 40, but we do burpees in our family when you're really anxious or really worried. Move your body. Oh, that's when you drop down on the ground and you stretch your legs out behind yourself into a push-up position, and then you have to leap back up off the ground and clap your hands above your head. So that's what a burpee is. Um, just do something that moves. That's why I don't do that in public anymore. So move your body. When God made it so that when we move our bodies, it releases endorphins in our head. It re releases endorphins in our brain that helps us to feel good. It helps us to break out of that mental loop that we go in. Exercise is meant to change that our thoughts and our mind. And my last practical tip is this. Do the next thing. Whatever it is. Do you need to eat? Make a meal and clean it all up. Is your space a mess? Set a timer for just 15 minutes and get rid of as much clutter around you as possible. Seeing your environment change for good can truly break free an anxious mind. Having this healthy rhythm for your day can also help with anxiety because you know what to do next. In season, so we've had like six kids and we've been pastoring all these years and family members have had major health crises and grandparents have died and all these hard things. And in seasons of extreme pressure, being able to lean on our regular systems of daily living have made those seasons of incredible pressure very manageable instead of debilitating. Jesus reminds us not to worry about our clothes or on the things that we will wear. He reminds us that we too are like the lilies of the field and are taken care of. If you've ever had a chance to look closely at lilies or wildflowers, you can see the beauty and such determination. They come up in some of the most unsuspecting places. Across the street from our house, there's a storm drain. And often, out of the storm drain, there's a flower that grows up through. And it sticks up through the grate. No one has planted it. No one tends it. No one provides anything for it. And yet it survives and it brings beauty. If God can tend that little flower that, you know, the water rushes down and knocks it out over and over again, and it keeps coming up. If God can tend that little flower, what can he do for you since you are worth so much more to him? Such anxiety indicates little faith. And a word used elsewhere in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, for the disciples when they failed to trust Jesus in a situation of their physical need. God cares for our physical needs. 
and he desires to provide for us. Faith is, for Matthew, a very practical reliance on the care and on the power of the Father and of Jesus. Anxiety is the opposite, and it's supposed to be ruled out for disciples. Jesus is talking to his followers about trusting God the Father and about not worrying about their physical needs. And he's speaking at a time when there's like this really distinct difference between those who are in the faith and those who are not. And they thought of people as not as Gentiles who are outside of the faith. A primary concern with the material needs was very characteristic of the Gentiles. The word seemed, when they were talking about it in the Bible, seems to um, make not so much a racial difference as much as a religious distinction. They are men, Gentiles are men without faith, without God. Such men have no knowledge of a heavenly father, and so they have no antidote to anxiety. And they have a consequent materialistic view on life. If you have Jesus as your Lord, then you view material possessions in a completely different manner. A disciple realizes that his father knows that you need them all and that his faith assures him that he can, can and both will provide for them. Jesus teaches about anxiety over our physical needs because it consumes so much of our lives. For most of our lives, we have to work and toil and discipline ourselves towards the work that God has given us. As a Christian, we're able to do this work with the understanding that God has provided all that is in our lives, and it's all His. What this verse demands is a commitment to find and to do the will of God, to ally oneself totally with His purpose. And this commandment, it has to come first. It cannot be crowded out with material concerns. To follow God means to be all about his work. To seek out the kingdom work and to give ourselves to it. Here at Good Samaritan, we are seeking to see the kingdom of God at work in the world. We're seeking to see others fall in love with Jesus and to know his great calming, loving presence. When you serve here, when you worship here, when you give relationally here, you are involved in the work of the kingdom of God. Everything that we have has been given to us from God. I know it is so tempting to look at our things or our bank accounts and say, I've earned it, it's mine. However, the reality is that God gave us breath, health, and life to be able to work, to be able to do the job, and to use the resources for his glory. All that we have is God's, and we get invited into this beautiful gift of sharing God's resources with the world. You heard um, the passage read earlier that we came into this world with nothing and we can take nothing out of this world. 
God desires for us to live lives with an open hand, not trusting in our physical surroundings. The physical things that we have in our lives are meant to be stewarded in such a manner that bring glory to God. What could it look like to honor God with your clothes, with your food, or with your finances? What could it look like to give regularly to the work of God's kingdom? The biblical mandate of giving is to give 10% of our finances to the work of the Lord. And in this day and age, where everything feels so expensive, it can feel impossible to do. Father Chris and I have raised an ever-growing family on one income while paying off enormous amounts of debt. We know how hard it is to feel it first to part with your finances. However, we know that when we give our tithe every month, despite how hard it may feel, God is glorified. When we look back on our lives, it amazes us how much God has done for us. How long items that we needed to care for our family have lasted. I opened a a box of cloth diapers and I sat there on the floor and I just absolutely wept. I have put five, almost six kids through diapers, through these cloth diapers. They should not have lasted that long. And God provided what we needed and he provides over and over again. How long are pots of soup stretch from day to day? How long times are that we can pass on extra clothes to other families that we can abundantly share? God has provided for us as we have continued to be faithful in giving a tithe and of giving of our time to the church. And I feel rather certain that we would absolutely miss out on the blessings of God if we were to stop tithing and giving to the church. And I feel quite certain that I, in particular, would become a very miserly, unhappy individual. You see, I have historically always been a very anxious person about our finances. And God, in his mercy, has changed my perspective and has shown me how good it is to give generously of my time and of my finances. When I give, my hands are opened and I keep my head on right regarding whose it all is. More things, a bigger house, a nicer van, or a larger savings account will not grant happiness. It's only when we're sold out for the working of God's kingdom that we can experience joy and peace and financial freedom. The membership covenant says that we should give regular financial support to the church, acknowledging the tithe 10% as the biblical standard of giving. To be a member of a church means we give our finances to the local church body in order to spread the gospel of Jesus. Your vestry, your rector, and all your governing bodies seek to honorably steward the church's finances. They are not extravagant in their spending but rather they're godly and they're modest. Our time, our talents and resources are not our own, but rather the Lord's gracious gifts. And he desires for us to live lives 
that openly give of the abundance that we ourselves have received. If you have running water, electricity, clothing, and food to eat, then you're doing better than most of the enormous parts of the world. As Americans, we often feel that we don't have enough. And for some people, that truly, truly is the case. But for vast members or numbers of Americans who have food to eat and clothes to wear and a place to sleep, one of my dear friends used to always tell people to go on mission trips because you can truly see the need around the world. She said that no matter how little she had, when she came home, all she saw was provision. This was a woman who was a single mom who raised her kids off a very small income and struggled her whole life. When we're generous, God expands the things that we have and he stretches things far beyond our expectations. So my encouragement for you, you beautiful people of Good Samaritan, is how is God possibly asking you to be involved in his kingdom work? How might he be calling you to give your time, your talent, or your finances? How might God like to shape your understanding of all that he has provided for you? So may God open your heart to see his generous love for you and for all that he has for you and for all of his other people. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.